Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. Well, now that we have 20 minutes on the timer, we are going to talk today about one of the most well-known stories in the entire Bible. In fact, as biblical literacy has dramatically decreased, not just in our greater culture, but in the church culture, uh, this is a biblical story that is still well known. It's, of course, the story of David and Goliath. Verse 1 says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko near in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes and Damon between Soko and Ezekiah. Now, again, if you're uh, reading the Bible out loud, how do you know how to pronounce the words? You don't always. You just say it like you know it. Uh, I think it's good for um, people to just kind of get used to reading the Bible out loud, especially dads, you know, if you want to read the scriptures to our kids and, uh, you know, know how, to, know how to just say it. Well, sometimes you just say it by saying it with confidence. Is that really how it's pronounced? Yeah, 50-50. It says in verse 2 that Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped at the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. And the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites the other with the valley between them. So, you know, ancient armies encamped on both sides. There's this valley of Elah, or Elah, and they're up on each side of a hill and they can see each other and they're sort of uh, taunting each other. Verse 4 says, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. I don't know why they don't just do the translation, which is about three meters or nine feet, nine inches. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back and his spear shaft was like that, like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels and his shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why don't you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, then you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine says, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Okay, so let's, first of all, let's get this whole giant thing out of the way. The writers of the book of 1 Samuel claim that a man who was almost 10 feet tall was leading his people, the Philistines, into battle against God's people, the people of Israel. Was he really that tall? I don't care. I, I don't. And, and here's why. Because let's say that he was. Let's say that he was. Uh, the Bible speaks in the book of Genesis about there being places where there were giants. And we know uh, from anthropology and archaeological history that there have been extremities within humanity at different times. Do you know one of the things that surprised me greatly was to find out that there were hobbits? Um, 
that the Hobbit, uh, there's evidence in places like Indonesia that there were um, humanoid creatures, let's call it that to be scientific, uh, that were incredibly small. And they've been given the name Hobbits. Um, and they weren't, I mean, they weren't really Frodo and Samwise, right? But, but this, these archaeological findings have found incredibly small humans. And then there have been archaeological findings that have found incredibly large human skeletons. Uh, I remember going to one of the coolest places ever is the town of Whitby on the North English coast. And it's a historically significant place uh, for a couple reasons. First, it's where the Council of Whitby met, uh, and that has historical significance because it was there that the uh, Christians in England decided to follow the Catholic tradition instead of the Celtic tradition. Um, and then also, it's where Bram Stoker wrote Dracula. So for those two reasons, it has historical significance. Um, I just love the town. It is incredibly awesome. It's this seaside port town, fishing town. It's like something out of a movie. Um, there's an incredible fish and chips place. Uh, there's just all kinds of good stuff there. One of the things, though, that's very interesting about the buildings in Whitby is how low the door frames are. Because the English back then, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, were incredibly short, much shorter than you or I, you know, and I'm not tall. I am, I'm at 5'9", 5'10". I'm the average height for an American. And I had to bend down to get through some of these doorways. So we know that there have been different extremes, uh, you know, within humanity. And there's, um, you know, pictures of like, uh, you know, Kevin Hart with the Rock and Kevin Hart, this comedian and actor, is incredibly short. The Rock is huge, and then Shaq stands next to the Rock, and you see how much bigger Shaq is than the Rock, and it's all perspective. So, could there have been this giant? Possibly. In fact, I'm just going to throw this out there. If you are a Christian who believes that God used evolution as a means of creation, and there are plenty of Christians who believe that, including people in our church. Uh, there, there's an argument that says that, that Goliath had DNA from a previous, you know, iteration of humanoid. I, I'm just going to throw that out there. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is to say, you know what? I believe that the Bible is literal except where it isn't. And what I mean by that is this. Do I believe that in the book of the Revelation, it talks about a dragon flying through the sky. Do I believe it's talking about a literal dragon? Well, no, because in the whole context of that chapter, it's very obviously picturesque language. When the Bible says that God is my rock and my strong foundation, do I believe that God is literally a rock? No, of course not. It's figurative language. Is it possible that the people of Israel saw this guy and said, how big is he? He is huge. He's as big as a mountain. He's 10 feet tall. And they weren't interested in like going and literally measuring him. That they weren't interested in, in the literalness of how tall he was. It was the sense of how they viewed him. Also very possible. One of the things that annoys me uh, to no end is when people criticize the Bible based on a modern way of wanting to read things instead of saying how would an ancient writer have intended this to be conveyed, and how, what, would an, what expectations would an ancient audience have had? The Bible's true. 
that the people of the Philistines were coming against the people of God. The Bible is true that they were led by this champion, this giant of a man. The Bible is true that the king, Saul, trembled and did not provide the leadership that he was supposed to. He should have gone out. The Bible says that Saul was one of the tallest men in Israel. He was the biggest. He would have been their champion. He should have been their champion. And yet he did not go out. Now, verse 12, David, the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah, and Jesse had eight sons, and Saul's, uh, and in Saul's time, he was very old. So uh, Jesse was an old man. He had eight sons. And three of his sons followed Saul to war. The firstborn, Elihab, the secondborn, Abinadab, and the thirdborn, Shammah. And you might remember from a couple weeks ago, the prophet Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, says, show me your sons. Because God has told Samuel that one of these sons will be the next king. And he sees Eliab. He's like, oh, this is a king. God says, no. When he sees the next one, he looks like a king too. So these, these, young, these, these sons of Jesse would have been impressive people. People you could have gotten behind. Warriors, athletic specimens. And they didn't go out either. But David, who was too young to go to war, David it says, was the youngest, verse 14. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So remember, last time we were together, that David had actually had this kind of position as a musician in the court of the king to calm him, to soothe him. Uh, he was struggling with um, anxiety attacks, possibly. Uh, they attributed it to a demonic or spiritual battle. We don't know which. It could have been both. It could have been, who knows? But David wasn't there all the time because he had to go back and tend his father's sheep. And for 40 days, the Philistines came forward every morning and every evening, and he took his stand. So Saul comes out every morning and every evening, and he taunts them. The Philistines want to attack Israel, but maybe they didn't have such a decisive advantage. Uh, maybe it was just they, they didn't care. They're having fun. We're, we'll, we'll get these guys eventually, but for right now, we can hang out. If one of them does come out, why do any of us have to get hurt? You know what, if, Saul's will, if, if Goliath is willing to go fight uh, one of their champions, that's good with us. So for 40 days this happened. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephod of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your, young, for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance for them. They are with Saul and all the men in Israel at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed, and he reached the camp of the army that was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other, so they're each on different sides of this valley. They're all lined up. They're all yelling at each other, trying to go, ooh, you know, bumping their chest and the whole thing, trying to out-dude the other guy. And it says that uh, David got there, he reached the army, uh, the camp as the army is going out to his battle positions. Um, verse 22, David left his things with the keeper of supplies and ran up to the battle lines and asked his brothers how things were. And when he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, the champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. And whenever the Israelites saw the man, they fled from him in great fear. So they're all acting tough, they're acting strong, and then this Goliath shows up and they hide, they cower, they get silent. Now the Israelites had been saying, 
Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him, and he will also give him his daughter in marriage and exempt his family from taxes in Israel. And David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and said, why have you come down here? And whom did you leave these few sheep in the wilderness? How I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You have come down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? And when he turned away to someone else, he brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. And what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. Why is his brother so angry? I bet there's some shame involved. Because Eliab won't go out to fight. Eliab is a strong man, a powerful man, a man who Samuel thought could have been king. And he won't go forward and he won't fight. But here's David who's asking questions of defiance, who's saying, what's going on? Why aren't you doing this? And out of shame, Eliab speaks. You know, it's interesting. I, I rewatched the movie Darkest Hour about uh, Winston Churchill. And uh, it's good. I don't like it as much as everybody else seems to, but it's good. And I watched it for the second time uh, the other night. And it was interesting to me that inside of the, the bunker where the war cabinet was meeting and, you know, things are going bad in Europe and Belgium has fallen, France is about to fall, uh, the, the British army is trapped at Dunkirk and the war cabinet is ready to give up. Everybody except Churchill and the war cabinet is ready to give up. And even Churchill starts to buckle. In that room, even Churchill starts to buckle. The, the tide turns when he gets out of that room, when he gets perspective, he talks to the king. He talks to the outer cabinet, which are the, the people who are in government, but they're not senior enough to be in the war cabinet in the bunker. He goes and he talks to them. He goes and he talks to his wife. He gets out of the bunker. He gets out of that isolation and he gets some perspective. David is coming in fresh. He hasn't been there for these 40 days. He's not defeated. So he's coming in with an outsider's perspective. David's young. He comes in with a youthful perspective. And what happens in churches and in organizations is the insiders who are just got this kind of insider view and everything is tunnel visioned and they don't have that fresh outside perspective. They'll speak against somebody who's coming up and just asking reasonable questions. Hey, what's going on here? What's happening? And sometimes we got to get ourselves outside of the bunker. We get our, got to get ourselves some fresh air. You know, maybe there's stuff going on in our lives and we just think it's only this thing. And sometimes we got to just step back and say, God, give me perspective. Help me to see things from a different point of view. Help me to understand what could be going on. And that's applicable to all kinds of things. Uh, family situations, church situations, cultural situations, whatever. But Eliab's speaking out, lashing out against him. And I think it's probably because of pride. It's his younger brother. And shame because he won't step out. How many divisions happen in families because we're prideful and because maybe we are defensive about something else. And so if we attack first, we can keep, we can keep the focus away from us. 
But David doesn't back down. He ignores his brother. He goes to this other person. He confirms the information. Saul hears. It gets back to the king that there is somebody who is kind of talking tough. Ooh, maybe this person will go out. So they bring him to Saul. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight him. David is so indignant about what's going on that this Philistine will come out for 40 days and he will speak against God and his people. And he's indignant that no one from the people of God would stand up and fight. And Saul says, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. Oh, how many times have people in the church said that? They can't do it. They're too young. They can't do it. They need to wait. How old were the disciples? How old were the disciples? And what, what that means is a couple of things. If you're young, step forward. God can and will use you right now in this moment of your strength and your youth. And if you're old, then we need to say, how can we empower younger people? and not make them wait, and not make them appease us, and not make them do what we want them to do, but how can we help them to hear from God and empower them? But Saul says, you can't go out. You're too young. And David says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from a flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. And your servant has killed both lion and bear. Now, lion is probably not like lion on the um, African, you know, uh, uh, not Sierra, not safari. Savannah, that's the S word. You know, it's not like Lion King Lion. They were probably talking about a kind of a puma or a mountain lion, something like that. But the, the idea is the same. I mean, if I came across a cougar out on the hiking trail, I'm going to be in trouble. But David, you know, is, is fierce. He's ferocious. You know, yeah, he's young, but young people back in the day, they had to deal with stuff that, you know, even grown men haven't had to deal with in our day. And so he's saying, hey, I fought... I fought the, the fiercest beasts in our land to protect our sheep, and I've survived. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine's young people. And I'm saying this because I'm old now. I'm 40. I'm not young. But I need to learn this lesson as much as anyone else. The key mark there is that David has humility beyond his years. He has the humility to say, yeah, I did those things, but I did them because God was with me. I was, I'm not big stuff. I did it because God was with me. And the same way that God delivered me from the hand of those beasts, he can deliver me from the hand of this giant. So Saul said to David, go and Yahweh be with you. And then Saul dressed David in his own tunic and put a coat of armor on him and bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened his own sword over the tunic and tried rocking around, but he could not use them. So basically, Saul's a huge guy, full grown man, taller than everyone else in Israel. His armor is huge and it's built for him. It does not fit David. It doesn't. I'll tell you, growing up in the, in, you know, we're in a generational transition, the boomers to the Gen Z, and I'm the oldest uh, or millennial, excuse me, boomers to millennials. And I'm the oldest millennial. And so most of my last 20 years have been coming up and boomers who just are trying to get me to wear their armor and it doesn't fit. 
And, you know, I'm who God made me, you're who God made you, but, but you're trying to get me to do something that doesn't fit. And I want to keep, as I get older, from doing the same thing to the next generation, to the younger millennials, to Gen Z, whoever comes up after them, whatever we decide to call them arbitrarily. I want to make sure that I'm not putting what, who I am and how I do things onto them. So David says, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. He took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He got five smooth stones from the stream and he put them on the shepherd's pouch in his bag, the sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Now our time is up and we'll come back to this next week. But I want to end by saying this, that David stopped and he said, I have to do this with the Lord's help in the way that God has made me. And he stepped forward. If you're young, be who God has made you to be and serve God with all your heart. And if we're older, let's not get in the way. Let's be part of the fight. The biggest prayer that I have is that no young person would come and say, why aren't you going out and battling? But they'd say, I want to join you in the fight. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released on audio, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill. Video versions are available on our Facebook page. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person. We have small groups scattered throughout the week, including online small groups. Thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you next time as we continue for another 20-minute Bible study.